We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. U.S. Bank wants to know how you reward yourself because they have cards that make every day more rewarding. Are you a points order, cashback guru, low intro APR lover? With U.S. Bank, it's up to you because they have the cards to fit your lifestyle. So earn more whether you're shopping at a gas station or grocery store, even while planning a staycation. Learn more at usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. Most Tuesdays are just Tuesdays, except at Buffalo Wild Wings, where Tuesdays are Wing Tuesdays. But now even Wing Tuesdays aren't just Wing Tuesdays because Wing Tuesdays are half-price Wing Tuesdays, which means your boring Tuesday that became Wing Tuesday now costs you half as much. In case you're confused, we have half-price Wing Tuesdays. We do it for you. Buffalo Wild Wings. Wings. Beer. Sports. Prices and participation vary. See participating locations for details. Void or prohibited. Welcome to an off-season edition of the Roto-Wire NBA podcast. Nick Whalen and James Anderson here with you on this Thursday, September 29th. Um, we might, you were just saying right before I hit record, James, that there's a big trade on the docket right now in our staff uh, season-long basketball keeper league. Are you allowed to divulge any details of that trade, or do those all have to remain confidential until it's locked in? Uh, the only thing I can confirm is that uh, my team is in talks with a mystery team about me possibly trading Draymond Green. <gasps> so look, look out. I mean, if, wow. if, it, if it breaks during the pod, we'll, we'll definitely get that news to right. you. 
uh, ASAP, interrupt whatever awesome conversation we're having and, <laughs> and get that news to you. But um, I'll, I'll just keep looking at my phone every two seconds. All right. Yeah. Huge developments. I've seen you refreshing your, your email inbox, waiting for the response on that trade all day. I, I can confirm that I am not the mystery team. <laughs> Um, haven't really done any wheeling and dealing quite yet uh, in that league. But on the pod today, uh, we're going to talk about the over-under lines for each team uh, that came out a little under two weeks ago, so we're a little bit late on this. Uh, but for the most part, with, the, with a few exceptions, the Milwaukee Bucks being one of them, uh, obviously Chris Middleton going down, uh, most of these lines you know, ha- haven't really changed all that much or shouldn't have changed uh, based on anything that's happened through the first few days of training camp. So we'll go team by team. We'll talk about you know what we think about the the Vegas odds over or under, uh, and then we'll finish out with kind of a preview of our All Star teams and our season long awards. So I think we did this last year, and we should have reflected on it. I, I don't know if I still have the document, but I'm pretty sure that I had LeBron winning the MVP last year for like the fourth year in a row, and that did not uh, did not happen. But let's start with well, the I had Anthony Davis winning it, so. We were very high on Anthony Davis, <laughs> and to be fair, a lot of people were. Uh, this year, not that, quite so I think so we much. probably did that pod before all the terrible stuff started happening right. around the Pelicans. But yeah, um, Terrible things still happening around the yes. Pelicans. Um, but let's start with the Atlanta Hawks. We'll just go alphabetically through these. The line set at 43 and a half. You and I both like the over. Um, they lose arguably their best player in Al Horford. I, I think Paul Millsap's probably their best all-around player. He's still there. So they swap out Horford. They bring in Dwight Howard. They get rid of Jeff Teague, and you know they basically promote Dennis Schroeder to a full-time starting role. Um, I think this is going to be a team that it might take a few weeks to see what we really have here, but you know I'm higher on Dwight Howard than, than most people are. I think this will be a little bit more of a seamless transition you know, from one all-star caliber center to the next than a lot of people think it might be. Yeah, I just think they're going to be a, a different team, not necessarily a worse team. I think they're going to – I mean, the big thing they struggled with last year was protecting the rim and rebounding Dwight Howard solves both of those issues uh, I think kind of getting rid of the sort of point guard by committee that they'd sort of been running last year might might kind of help um sort of steady that that backcourt and then they really got nothing from Kyle Korver relative to expectations last year I think if he has a bounce back year then that that goes a long way I, this was a pretty easy call for me yeah I think so too I think Korver is, is a bigger x factor it hasn't been talked about a whole lot a guy who's getting up there in age but the way that he plays, it's not like he's relying on athleticism. You know, uh, this prototypical, you know, shooting specialist. You know, guys like that tend to last a little bit longer than than the slasher types. Uh, looking at their line from last year, the Hawks were o- opened at forty nine and a half wins. So, so Vegas thinks the the transition from Horford to Howard and and from Teague to Schroeder is worth minus six wins, basically. Yeah, well, and they, I think that I think with all these Eastern Conference teams, one thing you got to factor in is that. Uh, I think most people think the conference got better uh, this past season. I think the at least the middle towards like the, like the teams in that sort of two to five or two to six range, I think, are better this year than they were last year. Um, I also think that the Hawks they might have been a, a tad high on the Hawks last year, so like that's kind of part of the correction too. So mm-hmm. uh, I don't think they necessarily think this team's six wins worse. No. I just think that there's a lot of factors at play. No, that's true. I mean, they're expecting a lot out of Kent Bazemore, uh, Cephalosha, I think, looking for a bounce back year, and then and then Torian Prince as well. I, I'm interested to see how much he gets involved. Probably won't be a ton as a rookie, but I think it, as far as guys who are you know four-year players, very good on the defensive end, a guy who can shoot the three, uh, I think he'll be an impact player for them. The Boston Celtics, 
51 and a half. That's up nine wins from 2015, 16. They were at 42 and a half last year. Um, I think to some, Boston was a surprise team winning 48 games, but you look at the depth on the roster, you look at the quality of coaching, it shouldn't really be all that much of a surprise that, that they were able to do what they did last season. Uh, they retained most of that talent. Evan Turner signs in Portland. Jared Sullinger uh, set to start at power forward for the Raptors, but they replaced those guys with Al Horford, who's now maybe the best player on a team that has like eight very good players, but no great, great players. Yeah, this was... I think this was the hardest line for me to pick. Uh, we disagreed. You have the over at 51 and a half. I have the under, but I don't feel good about that at all. I wouldn't, I wouldn't bet it. I, I just think there's a crazy amount of hype surrounding this team. And I think they probably overachieved a little bit last year in the win column. Uh, I think that, that this like Brad Stevens and this kind of collection of guys, um, you know, it's a collection of guys that have kind of been cast offs by other teams or maybe um, written off by, by previous uh, coaching staffs or, you know, or what have you in Boston, whereas now they kind of are a team with a ton of expectations. Guys like Isaiah Thomas, you know, considering himself an all-star. Al Horford, obviously, accustomed to being considered one of the best big men in the league. Uh, Jay Crowder getting talk as, like, a potential all-star. I just sort of think there, there's a chance they may have lost that kind of nobody believes in us um, chip on their shoulder that they, they had last year and that Brad Stevens probably used to his advantage mm-hmm. when he was coaching them up. Um, I don't think they're, I don't think Jalen Brown's going to matter at all in the, in the win column. I, I think he's going to play, you know, maybe 15 minutes a game for them this year, probably be best if he spent a lot of time in the D league. So if people are factoring that in at all, I think that's a mistake. Um, I don't know. I, I think I think this is just kind of a perfect line. I, I could kind of see it going either way. I yeah. just think that there's so much momentum in the – like everyone's looking at this line to me and, and just immediately saying, oh, over, because they got better. They're one of the best teams in the East. Mm-hmm. I don't necessarily think it's that simple. I think a lot of the best – I think all the best teams in the East are going to be kind of right in that sort of 50 to 56 win range. I think Boston could easily get over this, but I, I think people are kind of penciling – or writing it in as kind of a lock and I think it's it's a complete toss-up I don't know that they necessarily overachieved I think when you look at the roster last year it's kind of easy to say that you know seeing as they didn't really have a star player but you know if you look at basketball reference expected win loss was 50 50 wins uh, compared to the 48 that they, that they actually finished with last year um, I, I took the over but that's basically me saying they get to 52 or 53 um, you, you know I mean they finished in a tie with Atlanta Miami and Charlotte uh, last year for basically what was the three through six seeds. Miami completely fell off. You know, Atlanta, I think, is no better than last year, maybe not much worse. And I think Charlotte probably overachieved last year as well. So I think, you know, there's teams like Indiana and Detroit are going to get better. But the East overall, I think, probably got slightly weaker. I think that helps Boston. See, I, I, why do you think that? Like, I, I, Charlotte might not even be a playoff team. But I mean, I yeah, I, I don't. Atlanta really didn't get Charlotte. better. My, I, the third seed, Miami, I think, isn't going to make the playoffs. I think the Pistons are going to be significantly better. I mean, the, the Pistons are a team with a with an extreme upward trajectory, just like Boston. To me, yeah. I don't think the I don't think the Raptors got. I mean, they maybe got a, a win or two worse than than last year. I think uh, if anything, the Cavs might have gotten better. Um, Dunleavy. I mean, <laughs> I mean that. Well, they're. I mean, they're going to have Kyrie yeah. for a full season. Uh, Kevin Love can't be as bad as he was last season. I, I just, I don't, I, I mean, I think maybe the, the teams at the bottom are maybe even more clearly right. uh, out of the well, mix, but I, I just think that there's, 
I, I don't I don't I just don't think it's gotten worse. I compare it or part of the reason I don't think it's gotten worse is I look at the West and the East now and other than just saying, you know, the Warriors, Spurs and, and Clippers are better than the second best team in the East, I think if you look like four through ten in either conference, I don't see as big of a gap as there used to be. Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, I mean, to me, Boston can be just as good as Toronto was last year, and the Toronto team won right. fifty six games. Like that's that's why I think Boston can, you know, with relative ease, can get to fifty, can you know, climb up to fifty two, fifty three. This was a team that was nineteen and nineteen, you know, basically midway through the year last year. I think they're going to get off to a better start than that. Uh, maybe they don't finish the season quite as well, but. You know, I think 51 and a half on paper seems like a lot, but I mean, the wins have to come somewhere. And I think Toronto probably takes a little bit of a step back. Maybe Boston, you know, kind of usurps them as the, the consensus second best team in the East. All right. Yeah. I All mean, right. Let's move on. Uh, the Brooklyn Nets. Was this an easy one for you? They're at 20 and a half. We both went under. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, 20 wins is not a lot of wins, but this roster, this is maybe an all-time, you know, at least in the last 10 or 15 years, you'd be hard-pressed to find a least talented or a less talented, I should say, roster overall. Yeah, I mean, this isn't the lowest over-under we've seen in recent years. The, no, the, the Sixers, Sixers really outdone themselves. I think even like that, that one Suns team from a couple of years ago that was supposed to be terrible mm-hmm. and ended up not being terrible. I mean, Brooklyn was at 28 and a half last year, and this yeah. roster's not all that different. No, Um no, yeah, I mean, this was a, a layup. I think maybe part of the reason why it's it's higher than with those Sixers teams and that, that Suns team is they don't really have any incentive to lose. Right. Uh, whereas, like, those other teams, That's like, a good clearly point. they were tanking on purpose. The Nets are going to be bad, but they don't have any incentive to make sure they're terrible. Like, they would like to be good, so... Is there a uh, worse spot to be right now in any professional sport? And granted, I don't, I don't know what's going on in hockey. Maybe there's some comparison, but like, it, being a fan of the Brooklyn Nets right now has to be awful. I think it's the, it's the worst situation in, in at least baseball, football, and basketball. I can't think of anything in the NFL or MLB side that yeah, is... I mean, maybe Minnesota worse. Gophers... Uh, general athletics uh, <laughs> uh, no i mean i don't want to talk too much about the nets but i mean if brooke lopez goes down at any point we've already this talked season, too much about him all right that's it uh you didn't want to get anything in on nope. on ronde no nope. okay no Rondé. uh the charlotte hornets 39 and a half wins uh we both went oh no wait you went under yeah. i went over on this um i love this under i i i love you think this it. is this team is nine wins worse than they were i do and like well i mean there's there's a lot of factors here. Sure, so sure. first of all, look at that look at that line thirty nine and a half. Like that tells you, like Vegas Vegas has a feeling on this team. They are calling regression in a huge way, and I think it it makes a ton of sense. You lose for what it's worth. Charlotte beat the the win total from last season by sixteen wins. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like so. that's there's there's always teams like this where they just completely um, exceed expectations. And you just immediately have to cook in a ton of regression, uh, especially you look at, I think one of the main main reasons they were able to overachieve last year was that they didn't have Michael uh, Kidd-Gilchrist. And I think that that really just opened up the offense in a way that it hadn't been uh, open in, in previous years. And now they, they have him back. You know, I'm sure that they're aware of the fact that not having him helped their offense. So it's not like, uh, you know, they're, going in blind in that regard but they're gonna have to play him I mean he he's a still a key part of that team theoretically we have him listed as their starting small forward 
I think that's going to really limit uh, what they're able to do offensively. You also take away a guy like Al Jefferson, who obviously was a kind of a zero on defense, but a guy that could at least get you uh, buckets in the half court, um, could command a, a double team at times. And now you, you're left with Cody Zeller and Roy Hibbert and, and Spencer Hawes at center. I mean, that, that that's not great. Um, you got like a uh, kind of Kaminsky, a, ever heard of him? <laughs> you, you got kind of a borderline career year from Marvin Williams last right. year. I don't know if you can bank on that again. Uh, you know, it just, it, to me, there's, there's no reason not to just cook in a ton of aggression with mm-hmm. this team. Um, and I, I think I take the under there. I mean, do you really think that that Michael Kidd-Gilchrist is kind of the the key reason why they went from 28th in offensive rating two seasons ago to ninth last season? And I do I do think that there is something there. I mean, this was a team that they could not shoot the three in, in 2014-15, and all of a sudden they become one of the better three-point shooting teams when you have a, a complete zero, really, in that regard, and Kidd-Gilchrist, who only played seven games. You can't have an above-average offense if no, you're constantly deploying – two guys that can't shoot and it that doesn't mean you have to shoot threes like I mean you can do it with like a guy like Marcus Aldridge that's deadly with long twos but when you have Kid Gilchrist and you know pick whatever center Al Jefferson whoever out there uh, you're not the defense just can completely sag off those guys whenever they're not directly under the hoop Mm -hmm. and it just makes it kind of impossible so I mean it's just really really challenging to construct a successful offense when your small forward can't shoot. Yeah, I mean, I think I think I definitely am expecting a regression. Uh, Jeremy Lin, you know, as odd as it sounds, was a very important player for this team. They lose him to Brooklyn. Um, you know, most of the key pieces are back. It, it, you can kind of go either way on Al Jefferson, but I think they overachieved so much last season that even by me saying the over on thirty nine and a half, you know, maybe they get to forty, forty one, forty two. Um, but th- but there's no way I think that they get back to you know the win total that we had at last season. What about Kemba Walker? He had the best year of his career by far, career-high 21 points per game, career-high in rebounds. Uh, assists were right about at his career average, uh, but the shooting percentage was also a career-high. Still not great, you know, basically 43%, a hair under that percentage-wise, uh, and then went from 30% beyond the arc in 2014-15 up to 37% last season. Um, to me, that seems like it could be due for regression. Yeah, I, I just don't. I don't really think it matters. I mean, I think that's, that's the best he can do. Right. Uh, if he does it again, like I don't really think it does. I don't think it helps them go over that thirty nine no. and a half win total. And there's definitely a chance that he doesn't mm-hmm. quite get to that level again. Chicago Bulls. Last season, the Bulls were at forty nine and a half wins. Now the Bulls are at thirty eight and a half. I went under, and you also went under. Yeah, the the Bulls, and I guess there's there's three teams where I was pretty much going to go under regardless what the line was, and the the Bulls are one of them. the The Nets and the the Knicks are probably two others. Um, I just think you you kind of had an interesting thing going when it was Jimmy Butler, Taj Gibson, Robin Lopez. You know, you're not really sure how you're going to fill out that that backcourt, but you all of a sudden have you know some pieces to work with there in, in the front court. Uh, some some really nice kind of secondary players in in Gibson and Lopez to go with Jimmy Butler, and then you bring in Dwayne Wade and Rajon Rondo and completely turn the roster on its head. Like those guys don't; those guys demand the ball. Like 
Dwayne Wade can't play off the ball. Rajon Rondo can't play off the ball. Neither of them can shoot at all. Um, neither of them play defense anywhere near the level that their, their reputations kind of suggest. And so now you have these two guys who are just going to be dominating the ball. Jimmy Butler is by far your best player. How much is he going to get the ball? Uh, Jimmy Butler's your best three point shooter on the starting lineup. <laughs> like that's that's these crazy. are all facts. Like, uh, <laughs> that's no, we we insane. said this when this was happening. I think we were uh, we were in Vegas when these deals were going down, and it just it was just one kind of head scratcher after the other. And like you said, Jimmy Butler is far and away the best three point shooter in the starting <laughs> lineup, and he's average at best. You know, yeah. I think you can you can assume maybe he's he like, takes a step forward, but we've seen we've seen this before where we you like to project that someone jumps two or three percentage points and it doesn't always happen. He's a solid three point three point shooter when you factor in like everything else good that he does. Yeah, it's like the fact that he can like hit him at a semi serviceable right. clip is is fine. But if he, he wasn't so be, good, you can't be yeah. your most efficient shooter from downtown, and then. Oh man, it's just it's bad. It's just loaded with gigantic head scratching um personnel decisions. I I mean, I think it's fair to wonder if Fred Hoiberg's even a mediocre coach. He might be just a, a really bad coach. They were pretty excited uh, to get him in there and yeah, you know, I, I think he didn't have the greatest roster certainly last year to deal with and there were some injuries, but um I mean this this franchise's reluctance to just rebuild in any in any facet you know like you don't have to just go into the tank and do what philly did you know no one does that but like chicago did won't even like half rebuild you know it's it's got to be frustrating because see yeah like i thought they were going to rebuild right they, and they, then they then they signed rondo and wade and they were all set to rebuild like, and, and do it the right way too yeah. like you have you lock up your yeah. franchise player you lock up a guy that you can you can rebuild around, still be respectable enough that you you know you don't alienate a fan base, you don't alienate that player. You have yeah. enough young pieces to be a competitive team, but still you know rake in some young talent. And then the Rondo and Wade moves just go completely against that. You draft Denzel Valentine, who you know isn't maybe he's not going to be a, a stud in this league, but now we don't even you know we might have to wait until next season before we even know what you're going to get from him because the combination of Wade and Butler are going to suck up so many minutes. Well, I mean. A guy like like Jerry and Grant too, who I I would like to just, you know, I'd like to see him get twenty five thirty minutes a game on a team too that bad. should be it's rebuilding. Like, and it and now it's definitely not ha- like to me. Jerry and Grant might be better than Rashawn Rondo right now. Like, just if you factor in offense and defense, uh, like I mean, you we'll factor see. in where they're at in their careers. Like, Jerry and Grant's trying to prove himself in this league. Rashawn Rondo is resting on a ton of goodwill that is kind of non-existent to me. Like if, if the bulls hadn't stepped in and signed him, I don't know who was giving him. He a might be in the J.R. Smith situation right yeah, now. Like I don't, I really don't know who was paying him to be a starting point guard right. until the bulls stepped in. Yeah. So I, I mean, I'm pretty confident in the under there. There's enough talent on this team to hit the over. There is, if they can figure it out. Uh, I just don't see it all. It, like if you had like an, if say you replace Fred Hoiberg with a guy like Eric Spolstra, who's just, constantly like overachieving and like finding ways to make weird lineups like this work i'd still probably take the under so the fact that you have a guy like hoiberg i have just no faith in all at all like Mm -hmm. you have personalities like rondo and wade like how's hoiberg gonna tell those guys what to do exactly no i think so too i i think you know we've seen over and over some teams are just kind of thrown together based on talent and the majority of the time it doesn't work you know the talent has to be overwhelming and we're gonna get to another one of those here we are we are (laughs) um well wait who are you hinting at 
the Knicks. Oh, okay. Not, not, not right saying. away, but sure, right. there's another one of those coming. Yeah. Um, so the Bulls, under. Uh, the Cleveland Cavaliers, 56 and a half. This is the exact same win total, I believe, yes, that they opened last season with uh, Cavs finished with 57 wins, barely hitting the over. I'm going over. You're going under. Um, I feel like I've taken We've like six different stances on this. Talked about this. Yeah, we can um, gloss over this one. Um, I just, I just don't think they're gonna try to okay. win. That's what it's gonna come down to. <laughs> like, it, it, I mean, de- it depends what kind of effort you think LeBron and the Cavs are gonna put in. I happen to think they're gonna. They, I think they figured something out during the playoffs, though, especially the first three quarters of the playoffs when they were running through Toronto, or running through Detroit, running through Atlanta. Uh, and had a little bit of trouble with Toronto in round three, but they won their first ten games. Love was involved. Obviously, they had to change their style of play. Figured anything? I out. think they did. I just think LeBron started trying. Like it's that. Trouble. I don't know. I mean, LeBron was wasn't he the third leading scorer until that that third series? I could be wrong on that, but I mean, Love and Kyrie like, were doing the heavy lifting. Just watch LeBron play in the regular season last year and tell me what what percent effort you think he's giving night to night. I don't know. I think he wants the MVP. I, I think there's. I, I think, he, think he'd. I'm sure he'd love it. Like I'd love to have like a hundred thousand dollar car. Like it's not gonna happen. Like he knows there's no way it's happening. Like how how he? is he gonna win the MVP? Like he would have to play. If they win 63, 64 games and he has a vintage LeBron season, I well, who, we, we who, who takes about, it over him? We talked about this before. We'll too. get no. I'm we'll take, wait. We'll save I, this for the end when I, we actually I talk take about. The, it. I'm taking the over on ten games missed by LeBron this year, and you for rest you, for just anything. I'm taking the over on ten. Okay. And I think that's a big part of the reason why I'm taking. Yeah, I mean, there's two ways to think about it. If you're if you're looking at the Cavs, it's either they come out with a vengeance and try to defend this title, or they just kind of rest on their laurels and coast. I know, I know. Like nobody, like the only way that they would take any heat is if all of a sudden they were like floating around 500. But like, do you really think there's this conversation in that locker room where they, you know, LeBron, Kyrie, and Love are sitting around like we don't need to try that hard? No, I I just think LeBron. I think they want to win. He's done this for so many regular seasons now where he's in this zone of how to get his body ready for the postseason. It doesn't yeah. involve trying in November and December. Ah, fair, true. And I don't know that the, that Love and Kyrie are quite, quite good enough to you know, carry this team if LeBron you know, sits out a seven-game stretch or, or I think whatever. Kyrie will relish those opportunities um <laughs> you do have to remember this team didn't have Kyrie for the first what 30 games like, of last I, season I love if, for fantasy purposes a, a, a rare fantasy take here uh I love Kyrie this year like I think I think he's gonna just really kind of solidify himself as one of the 10 best players in the league like in the regular season I mean he kind of did that uh with what he did in the finals last year but I mean like we've we've yet to kind of see him have a monster regular season on a winning team. And I think that we, we see that from him this year because he's, he's a guy that's, you know, ascending, like his, his sneakers are are kind of, they're not on the, you know, LeBron, Steph Curry uh, level, but they're, they're getting there. Like he's a, he's a player that's, that's really becoming extremely popular, Uh, you know, borderline top five, most popular player in the league. Like he, this is a regular season for him. That's kind of all about kind of, uh, taking the the momentum he had in the finals and the Olympics and and kind of continuing to ascend, where and I think LeBron's gonna be totally cool, just kind of letting yep. him ascend like that. That like, I agree with. You know, I think I think Kyrie's gonna put up uh, his best statistical year. I just don't think it's gonna come with a ton of help on a night to night basis from from mm-hmm. all the surrounding pieces. Right, and this Cavs team is old. They're they're relatively shallow. Um, you know, you get beyond Tristan Thompson, Kevin Love, and Channing Frye. Who I mean, Channing Frye couldn't really play in the finals at all. So against certain matchups, you know, he's really a non-factor. Beyond that, 
it's Chris Anderson, you know, it's Richard Jefferson. So and and they need to use the regular season to get guys like uh, like Kay Felder, right, Jordan McRae, ready to go because your Dunleavy's, your Richard Jefferson's, Channing Fry, like those guys can just be straight up healthy scratches like sure. when they need I think to that's be. that should be the plan. Right. You know, like, you, you shouldn't you shouldn't want Chris Anderson to have to play in no, five straight games no. at any so point. So you can just really use the regular season to give those guys a ton of rest. Uh, not just guys like LeBron, but I mean mm-hmm. yeah, those those guys that they're gonna definitely have to lean on in the postseason. Do you think they make a move at, at some point? Like is this a deadline team that, you know, could load up on you know basically what they did with Channing Fry last year. I mean, if it, they make a move, it'll be it's going to have to be something, something like, like that. They kind of yeah, they're pretty limited as far as what they can do uh, salary wise. All right, let's get to our first Western Conference team, the Dallas Mavericks. Thirty nine and a half wins for the Dallas Mavericks. I went under, already regretting uh, betting against Rick Carlisle. You smartly took the over. Right, I would, I would say that the Mavs are a team that I, I, I can't. I don't have the facts to back this up but i've probably picked the over on them the past five or six years just because it's usually a safe bet the like vegas just it's really hard like no matter what kind of statistical model you're using to kind of generate these these lines if you're vegas you just can't properly bake in the rick carlisle factor unless you go in after the fact and bump two wins onto whatever mm-hmm. line uh, you spit out uh the mavs have zero reason to, to pack it in this year they uh, are not a team that is really built to to rebuild at the moment. I mean, that time's going to come. It's just not going to really be this year. Um, I think that they're kind of in a spot where they, they just want to keep that house fairly packed on a night-to-night basis. I think they have enough talent on the roster to get to, to 40, 41, 42 wins. Um, and it's not even – like they have enough talent for Rick Carlisle to get this team to 40, 41, yeah. 42 wins. It's not enough talent for, for most coaches to get it there, but, uh, you know, he just has a way of, you know, when a guy that hasn't been in Dallas before comes to Dallas, some part of their game gets gets better that, that wasn't really an asset mm-hmm. for them before. I think Andrew Bogut next to Dirk is just a tremendous fit. Uh, I think those two kind of personality-wise are, are going to really uh, enjoy each other and, you know that that's a defensive element that they sorely need to be productive uh, over the course of a season, given the lack of rim protection elsewhere on the roster. Yeah, I, I think it's easy to forget, you know, how effective Bogut can be. And, and granted, he is going to turn 32 at the end of November. But I mean, this is a guy who played barely 20 minutes per game last season. You know, mid 20s the last the previous two years in Golden State, and they they basically asked him to do very specific things. And he's a better all around center, I think, than we give him credit for. I mean, before he came to Golden State. He was basically a you know a, a twelve and ten guy, mm-hmm. a few blocks in Golden State. He, he was splitting time with Festus Azili, so I, I think he still has a couple good years left in him. I mean, he he has had his his share of injuries, but he, his workload has also been greatly reduced over the last four years. You know, compared to if he was on virtually any other team. So yeah, I, I like Bogut to have kind of a bounce back year, I guess, as he steps back into what should be a more expanded role. Dirk, you know, at some point the regression's going to come. If anything, he was better last year than he had been maybe the previous two years. So, and he's another guy, um, you know, like we talked about, who was it? Uh, I don't know, somebody on another team, Corver, you know, where you know, he's not that exact type of player, but he's also not a guy who relies on athleticism really whatsoever. His game, as we've seen, has aged pretty gracefully. And, and even if there is a decline this year, I don't think it's going to be enough that would derail this team in any way. And, but at the same time, you know, the expectations aren't all that high. 
Um, point guard situation, a lot of depth, but you know it's the same cast that we've seen over the last couple of years. Darren Williams, J.J. Barea, and Devin Harris. They did add Seth Curry. I don't know what we're going to see from him, uh, but a little bit of a wild card there. And and th- those three that I just mentioned, the veterans, one at least one of the three is always banged up. So I think there's going to be time where, where Seth Curry is going to matter for this team. But Wes Matthews, another year removed from the Achilles. Um, and then the, the big thing for me, and I think, I think we kind of disagree as to what his role is going to be for this team. But, I mean, they brought Harrison Barnes in, I think, to be the number two option. See, this is be- becoming my biggest pet peeve of the offseason, where people look at the contracts that Harrison Barnes and DeMar DeRozan signed, and all of a sudden are just like, man, he's not going to be able to justify that contract. Like, that's if you're a young player in your mid-20s, and you're an average to slightly above average starter at your position, the max is what you get. Like, that's that's what you get in today's NBA. It doesn't mean you're going to be an all-star or even close to that. Like, if you want to get a young player like Harrison Barnes' age who you can pencil in as a 30, 34 minutes a night type of guy that's going to be adequate on both ends, uh, who you, who has a skill or two that you can really use, like his ability to post up and his ability to guard both forward spots, you have to give him the max. Like that's just the way it is. Like I don't think you can look at his contract and all of a sudden start like being like, well, he's not going to live up to that. Like that's what the market says you're worth in today's league. I don't think even the Mavericks are crazy enough to suggest that they think Barnes is going to all of a sudden become like a borderline All Star. I just think that they found a guy that they can probably. I mean, at, at small forward, is he a top? 15 small forward I think he's kind of right around there and I think that that's that's kind of what you have to pay for a guy his age well where I mean where do you think he falls in that hierarchy like I'm, the name that comes to mind is like like a, an average small forward to me is like a what a Courtney Lee a Trevor Ariza is he on an, is he on another tier above those guys or is he that I think he's right in that tier okay yeah I mean the thing with Barnes too is like, I think until he got to the Warriors he had always been you know, kind of the alpha dog type of guy, whether it's in high school or, or at North Carolina, maybe not personality wise, but he had looked, Definitely he, not no, no, not personality wise, but I think he was looked to as, as the number one option. Maybe not, maybe alpha dog wasn't the right word. Uh, so I think like being raised playing basketball that way, you, you develop that mindset. And I think maybe the criticism of Harrison Barnes, and, and this was, you know, during his freshman year at North Carolina was that he didn't quite have that, you know, that mentality that, that, you know, what people say, mamba mentality. Mm-hmm. Like, not everybody has that. He's a super nice guy. He's too nice. He's too nice to take twenty-one shots a game. Um, I, I, I don't. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I think you can just pencil him in for fifteen points, six six and a half rebounds, uh, effective or efficient shooting from mm-hmm. the field, and solid defense. Yeah, I don't buy the whole like, oh, his efficiency is going to fall off now that he's not getting wide open looks. I think it could fall off slightly, but I mean, he's just an efficient offensive right. player like regardless of where he is yeah like, he's not a guy that's taking he's not as you know, he's not he's not chucking it he's mm-hmm. i mean from the from post up i mean rick carlisle i'm not exactly sure what sort of twist rick carlisle is gonna kind of give his game i don't think he's gonna make him a notably better player like i said i don't think he's gonna be like a 17 18 20 point a night guy but there's gonna be something where carlisle either makes him slightly better at, at a certain part of his game, or they just find a way in the flow of the offense to really take advantage of, of his mm-hmm. ability to post up. If you have Barnes and Dirk, like two of the best post-up non-post players in the game, like that's that's something kind of unique that, that yeah. no other that's team That's something really you can has. exploit, yeah. certainly. Uh, the Denver Nuggets, 
34 and a half wins uh, entering last season. They were at 26 and a half, so a considerable bump uh, after Denver won 33 games last year. This is a very interesting team to me. Uh, I think if they were in the Eastern Conference, I would comfortably pencil them in as maybe a, a six through eight seed. Um, but you know, you and I went through and kind of ranked our playoff teams a few weeks ago, and it's very, very tough to find a spot that you feel good about for Denver getting in this year. Yeah, I don't think they get in, but I think that they. I mean, I think they're competitive most nights, and I think they're that, we're that, we're both over that, on thirty four and a half. Yeah, that line just seems. A a few games too low. I think so. Um, yeah, I mean, this team is is overly deep, if anything, um, which can be a problem, but but at the same time, uh, I think you'd rather take this situation than not being deep enough to get Gallinari back. He missed the last 30-odd games of last year. Wilson Chandler missed all of last season uh, with the hip issue. Gary Harris is back. Will Barton's back. Basically, everybody is back from that team, uh, but Lavernier, who who they sent to to OKC, the power forward position seems to be somewhat up for grabs. Uh, some some rumblings as to how firm of a grasp Kenneth Reed has on that. I think they want to be able to space the floor a little bit more, and and Fareed obviously doesn't do that. He, he kind of profiles to me as more of a more valuable off the bench anyway. Um, but the the position I really want to talk about is shooting guard because Gary Harris had a nice year last season. Will Barton played really well. He's a guy who can guy who can go who can go kind of go kind of. Sh- but then they draft two shooting guards in the first round, one of which, Jamal Murray, we both like a lot, and I think a guy who's probably viewed as having a higher long-term upside than Gary Harris. Yeah, I think it. I think the big wild card is Emmanuel Moutier because I think uh, Jamal Murray can be a point guard too. And I, I right. think if I, – I kind of have more faith, and I think it would be hard not to just based on what they – did last year I sort of have more faith in Gary Harris as at least a rotation player in the league long term than I do Moutier I think Moutier probably has more upside but he's also a guy that if if in you know 18 months we're talking about Moutier as a guy that's struggling to kind of stay in the league that wouldn't be all that surprising to me so uh, I think there's a scenario where long term Murray sort of slides in as the point guard next to Gary mm-hmm. Harris either way I don't think that's this year though I, I don't think that they're going to be in a hurry to bounce Harris from that starting role, though, if it looks like that could be a possibility long-term. Like, this isn't a team that's going to compete. Mm-hmm. If you only give Jamal Murray 25 minutes a game off the bench this year, that's not the end of the world. Yeah. Well, and the thing about Murray that you can't say about Harris is, is he can play both guard spots. So you don't. it's not necessarily a Harris or Murray thing, like you said. Like, they really don't have any reason to not play Jamal Murray at point over Jameer Nelson, who is, what, 35 right. Right. at this yeah. point. So, no, I'm with you, though, on Moody. I, I think his leash is still going to be long this year. You know, this isn't a make-or-break year for this team. So, you know, if he goes out and shoots 40% again, that's probably fine. But, you know, if we're having the same conversation next year where his, his percentages are still terrible and he's still turning it over, uh, you know, that's, that's where Jamal Murray factors in. Malik Beasley, the other first-round pick, Intriguing player, uh, was hurt before the draft. That hurt his stock a little bit. I don't really think we're going to see too much of him at all. Uh, the Detroit Pistons, 45 and a half wins. This is a team that won 44 games last season. I think, I think I'm pretty comfortable taking the over here. Maybe not too far over, uh, but they bring basically everybody back. They have a coach that everyone seems to like, and they're, they're deep all over the court. Yeah, this was one I didn't really think too much about. I would have probably taken the over up to, I don't know, 47 and a half wins. I would have probably gone over there too. I just think that this is 
the clear fourth best team in the conference to me, a team that's going to push for 50 wins, a team that is going to be flexible if they want to make a trade uh, midseason because of all that depth. You know, if, if you want to all of a sudden trade, you know, a guy like Tobias Harris because, like, John Luer, Marcus Morris, and, and Henry Ellenson are all showing you something, that that might be an option. I think you could see Stanley Johnson. I mean, he finished the year really strong. I think you could see him take a, a step forward this year. And even if he doesn't, I still think they, they get this over pretty mm-hmm. easily. Um, I don't love – the backcourt long term, but I think it's it's good enough to, to easily get them over this this win total given the, the front court depth. Yeah, I do like KCP. I think he's one of those guys that every team would want, but like what what is the ceiling with him? You know, like I, I think I you can always like, find the room for like Bruce Bowen. Yeah, I mean you can always find room for a three and D guy, but I just don't know that you can I don't know that Reggie Jackson and KCP is a you know a championship he's caliber backcourt. Shooter as everyone thinks he is. No. <laughs> like, no, no, he is not. Neither of those two guys. Like, that's why I don't love that backcourt mm-hmm. long term. Is because if Caldwell Pope and Reggie Jackson are, if you're relying, like they're they're worse at shooting threes than the guys that are going to be starting at small forward mm-hmm. and power forward in, in all likelihood. Right. Um, but I mean, Detroit. I think Andre Drummond, obviously, a lot to like there. Uh, they're stacked at the power forward and the small forward spot. Guys, Marcus Morris, John Luer, Tobias Harris, even Henry Ellenson, guys who can kind of slide between both of those positions. And I like that they added Ish Smith. That was their big weakness, I think, last year was they just had no no depth behind Reggie Jackson. I think it was Steve Blake. They could have the best second unit in the East. Like, I, So I you, go, you go what, like Ish, Stanley Johnson, uh, you know, Luer, I mean, I, I Ellenson, mean, and Baines? Um, and that's would, if you have no maybe, starters on the I would floor. maybe say, uh, I'd maybe say Bullock. Sure. Like, I mean, just to, just to stretch the floor a little bit. And okay. And uh, you have, yeah, I think, I think if you have that lineup out there, you could really, uh, you know, go on some, some 10 to mm-hmm. 12, four runs on, on some other teams. Right. Units. I think people will be surprised by Stanley Johnson too. I, I do. I mean, this was a team that played its five man starting unit far and away more than any other team in the league. And part of that was, you know, none of them were hurt uh, for an extended period of time. But it is somewhat of a shame that KCP and Morris play so many minutes because I think if Stanley Johnson could get to 25, 30 minutes per game, um, I think people generally would be a lot higher on him than they are. I think he's going to get to 25. Uh, He was close last year, closer than I thought. exactly how everything's going to shake itself out but to me he's one of the five most talented players on this roster so i think mm-hmm. i think one way or another he kind of gets there. yeah I, I think he'll find his way to the court the golden state warriors 66 and a half is the line uh what are they five four to five to win the title is that right i haven't checked recently but it's something like that um so yeah i mean there's not much to say about this we both say over i i I can see why you'd say under, you know, if you're assuming that they they don't really. go on this quest. But my argument against, you know, <laughs> I don't think they're going to have that same mindset as they did last year where yeah. they, they want to get to 73. But even if they don't have that mindset, they might just get there even if right. they're not necessarily thinking about it 24-7. Just by being as talented as they are and as deep as they are, this is just maybe by default a 72-win team. The laziest type of analysis you can have on the Warriors is to point to teams like the Heat and and stuff like that and just be like, well, it always takes, you know, takes a while for all the pieces to kind of click. It's like you're only clicking one piece and it's a piece that is so easy to click with like this offense. I mean, having a guy like Durant in there, like 
it's so it's such a seamless fit. Mm-hmm. Uh, to me, it's kind of interesting to think about maybe a guy like Clay Thompson. You know, maybe would it be more valuable to to use him? for large stretches of time with like the second unit. Like there, there's just so many things you can do. You obviously you're going to start with, with Curry, Thompson, Green, KD uh, and Petrulia ev- and Petrulia every single night. But depending on your substitution patterns, the rest of the game, you're going to be able to dictate things where you have, you know, Durant and clay against the other team's second yes. unit. Uh, you're going to be able to give, you know Steph Curry. You never have to have best, like, yeah. You're you're. You can always have two of those guys on the court without most any issue. You're always going to have the two best players on the court at all times. Which right, is it's crazy. crazy. Like, yeah, I mean, there's certain teams that that can you know match up with two, maybe three of those guys. No one can match that talent four deep. No. Most teams can't match it three deep, and only a handful can match it two deep. I mean, it, it really is unbelievable. I think it might take a while for us to realize, you know, just how high level this team is going to be. I, I'm with you. I think the the Miami comparison, the Boston comparison, that's the closest thing we've seen, so that's the natural thing to compare it to, but this is a different situation. The Boston, they pulled, you know, they pulled Ray Allen away, they pulled Kevin Garnett away to join this team. Yeah, like, Miami did the same. Right, like at per- well, I mean, I mean the the Celtics one, like it it at least makes more sense to me in terms of uh how easily the pieces fit. Like that that's a comparison because, like, to me, the Celtics, just that, that was a perfect fit with those guys. And they were all at a point in their career where they were willing to make sacrifices right. and stuff. And they, uh, they but, clicked right away, but too. But look at, like, compare those four, like Rondo, Allen, Pierce, Garnett, to these four. <laughs> it's not even remotely close. Well, Allen. the thing is, it sounds like it is on paper, but all three of those, three of those guys, not Rondo, were all slightly past their prime, you know? And none of them are, n- like, Durant and Steph Curry are better players than anyone yes. on that Celtics team. Yes, like, not, cl- not even close. In, even in their prime. So, like, you're already starting with two guys better than anyone they had, and then Clay and Draymond are mm-hmm. probably better right now than, I mean, maybe Draymond versus, like, KG then is that was close. That's as close as but it like, gets, though. I think Clay's better right now than anyone on that Celtics team. Like Clay is better than Ray Allen was at any point in his career. Yeah. Is that? Yeah. I think people would fight you on that, though. No. Fight I, me on that. Fight away! It's, no, I agree. It's I'm with you. I think I think the Warriors are all in the midst of their primes or entering their primes. You could even argue with with yeah. some of the younger guys, um, you know, Clay and, and Draymond specifically. Um, yeah, I mean, and we've talked about this before too. I mean, look at that that Miami Heat team that that was put together in 2010. Like yeah. the bench for that team was. <laughs> look at the bench. The bench for this team. Like, I'm, I'm sorting by minutes played per game here. You had the big three, obviously one, two, and three. And then you get into Mike Bibby. Haslam, yeah. Chalmers, Carlos Arroyo, exclude, Eric Dampier. Exclude the top four on the Warriors. Livingston, <laughs> Iggy, uh, David West, Zaza Pachulia, all would be the fourth best player yes. on that Heat team. Yeah, right, exactly. And Ian Clark even has looked very good when he's been on the court. I, Patrick you, McCaw is an intriguing Patrick rookie. McCaw. Right, and James Michael McAdoo, not somebody you can get excited about, but he's a competent role player. I mean, and they still have Verjao, too. And, and JaVale McGee might make this team. Like, this... This team is has the best starting five we've ever seen and by far the best bench to complement a great starting five that we've ever seen. Maybe not the best bench of all time, yeah. 
Yeah, but it's like a it's like a slightly above average bench. Yeah, I would say. And which and if you combine that with the best right. starting five of all time, that's pretty good. exactly. And you when you put these these quote unquote super teams together, the point is that you spend all your money on the starting five and you fill out the rest with minimum deals. Like the Warriors have found a way to do both. They yeah, like compare. I mean, I think the next closest thing. I mean, in our in the league to like a super team would probably be the Clippers if you just look at their top four and then look at look at their supporting cast versus the Warriors. It's not close. It's, it's not great. It's not, it's not close when you compare right. the, the four to the four. So. Cavs are the same way. Um, you know, I mean, everything in in some ways did come together for Golden State, and they they certainly deserve you know credit for the foresight that it takes to put some of this together. But the crazy thing is, like Curry or Durant could go down and miss like 25 games and they could still hit this over like that unbelievable it, it would probably you'd probably be like less than 50 percent chance to hit this over if, if one of those guys go down but it, mm-hmm. it could still happen all right final thought on the warriors in, in that same vein who who going down for an extended period of time would hurt them the most from a pure wins and losses perspective i i think you can make a case for curry or durant obviously but i think draymond also has to be in that conversation just because of what he's going to do defensively think i would go with i think i'd go with durant uh to me last year's team i might have said draymond but i think durant can do everything draymond can do so if you go without durant or if you go without draymond um durant just mm-hmm. slides into that role i think right I think durant's going to be doing the draymond role for a good chunk of the yeah. season. No, anyways. I think so too. Yeah, that, that's like, yeah, right. You take Draymond out and you just slide Durant up to power forward. You start Iguodala yeah. and you still have the best starting five in the league. I think you could make a case for Curry too because it's uh, just the the, <laughs> the attention he gets mm-hmm. so far away from the hoop. Well, that's that's the thing too is what what allows them to run that right. you know that Draymond train basically down the middle mm-hmm. of the lane is that people trap Curry. You know four or five, six right. feet behind the three-point line, and it gives you that much more space. And obviously not having him there, teams aren't going to be doing that to Livingston or Ian Clark or Phil Pressey or whoever it is. Um, I mean, their their closing lineup is going to be what? Curry, Thompson, Iggy, Durant, and Draymond? I mean, come on. <laughs> come on. Come on, indeed. That is absurd. All right, the Houston Rockets <laughs> are at 41 and a half. Uh, I understand you and you and Rotowire's DJ Trainer have a bet regarding this Houston team. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that they are a 41-41 and 41 team, and I think the Timberwolves could get to 50 wins, and we just did a straight-up who who is a better year out of those two teams, 50 bucks. And you have the Timberwolves? Yeah. All right. Uh, as you know, I'm a, I've always been a supporter of the Rockets, not as a fan, just, just as a team for some reason. Um, I, I think they push at 41.5. They find a way to win half a game. If there's any team that could do it, it's probably them. Um, but I do like their starting unit quite a bit. I, I'm a big Ryan Anderson fan. I, I'm also an Eric Gordon supporter, uh, despite the fact that he's always hurt. Um, but what concerns me is they have no bench. Their backup point guard is what, 38 years old, Pablo Prigioni. Um, you know, Sam Decker played, what, five games barely last season. He's coming off a of back surgery. Uh, Corey Brewer had the worst year of his career last year. And and as you keep going up the roster, the depth kind of gets worse. Uh, they have really no backup center behind Capella. I guess if you want to count Nene, who I don't I don't see him as a my Mark D'Antoni. I'm a big Janano Onowaku guy, long term. I like him as yeah. A, like I, I think he's I think he's basically gonna be. Um, 
just a very, very competent, like, 25-minute-a-game defensive first center at some point, but uh, probably not going to be ready this no. year. No. Yeah, that, that's what concerns me. And if Ryan Anderson goes down, this team is going to be in big trouble. That means we're going to see a lot more of Montrez Harrell, who I think we both like, but you know, not really a guy who gives you much outside of five feet offensively. So and you, wait, you you have them, you have them pushing at forty one and a half. Yeah, interesting. Standing by that, it's a bold, bold yeah. prediction. They'll I, find a way. I have the under. Uh, like I said, I think forty one and forty one because you could be looking at the second best offense in the league and the worst defense in the league and. Just the fact that they're on those polar yeah. things, I, I like the idea of them going yeah. exactly 41 and 41. Right, yeah. And they, uh, I think they rank pretty high in our watchability rankings, too, as sure. they should, because they're, they're going to be a lot more fun of a team to watch, Plus I think, you get than to do for. One of my favorite like coaching moves is the move where Mike D'Antoni has his hand in one of his coat pockets, and he's stomping like mm-hmm. on the ground, kind of like a like a Ron Burgundy stomp. Right. Like he's just all upset it's it's just a great look there's gonna be a lot of that this year um the indiana pacers 43 and a half wins um this is a team that was at 42 and a half last year and they finished last season with 45 wins i went over here you went under yeah i just think that they had maybe you know bottom five off season of any team in the league uh they made their they took what was one of the best defenses in the league and got rid of all of the defensive-minded players other than Paul George. And they have guys like Monte Ellis, uh, Thaddeus Young, uh, Al Jefferson, just extremely flawed uh, players, if you want to... You know, extremely flawed all-around players. They obviously are good at certain things, but um, it's just, the pieces just don't fit at all to me. I think Nate McMillan could be a terrible coach he could be like just a mediocre coach but the ceiling um, is mediocrity right i mean you go from frank vogel to a guy whose ceiling is mediocrity i think you got to dock him four or five wins just there i don't mm-hmm. like what they did with the roster i love miles turner i love paul george but other than that just, there's not much to like here they are depending a lot on development of miles turner which which is in the cards i mean he was much better as a rookie i think and much more nba ready than people thought he was um, but yeah, like you said, I think getting rid of Mahinmi is a big hit defensively. Monte Ellis really doesn't bring you anything at that spot. I think to me, to me, uh, George Hill to Jeff Teague's a downgrade. I I don't know if that's I don't, a popular yeah. opinion, but I, I think I think Hill's a better defender and a better shooter, and I think they're similar yeah. to everything else. Yeah, I think Teague will be a better initiator. He's a better he's a better slasher, better driver, right. whatever. But like, I mean, to me. I, if I'm an opposing point guard, I love the idea of Jeff mm-hmm. Teague trying to guard me all night. Yeah. I think Young is an upgrade at Power Forward. I think people, you know, Thaddeus Young always just seems to be on terrible teams, and it's kind of easy yeah. to forget how <laughs> consistent he is. I like that pickup. Ter- consistently yeah. on terrible teams. It's not his fault, man. Um, <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, I think the coaching is the biggest thing for me. I still take the over on 43.5 just because I think the talent level is high enough that they can get to 44 or 45. If Frank Vogel was still here, I would feel a lot better about it, though. So I would, I would say the two that we've disagreed on so far that I would most like to wager something on are this one and the Hornets one. So we'll have to – I'm going to bold those two, and we can – Yeah, bold them up. We can work something out off, yeah. off air. <laughs> um, the Los Angeles Clippers, 53 and a half wins. Uh, Clippers won 53 games exactly last season. We're both over on the Clippers. Uh, I think they take over the number two spot in the West this season. I think you're still riding with the Spurs. Um, but yeah, I don't want to spend too much time on the Clippers. I mean, this roster is virtually identical to what it was last year. Under on watchability, over on win-loss record. 
I, I don't. I'm not going to get back into the watchability stuff. The Clippers are one of my always one of my favorite teams to watch. Love, I, I love Blake Griffin. Dunks. I love dunks. He loves dunks. Um, I love everything about the Clippers that you hate about the Clippers. Uh, the Lakers, 24 and a half wins. The Lakers won 17 games last season. You went over. I went under. This is going to be an extremely fun team to watch. I you might follow I'm this. I'm actually changing. Oh, whoa. Yeah, I'm making a change. Okay. See, I, when you uh, hear it like that and you think, are no, they really well, eight wins no, better? I'd actually been thinking about this um, a couple days ago. So I, I think I filled these out two or three days ago. Mm-hmm. And then uh, a day or two later, I was it's a process. thinking about the Lakers. I was thinking with my as one does. I was thinking with my heart, like because I, I, I'm like oh, I like some of those guys. Like I right. go over twenty four and a half, but then if you just really look at it, it's no. like, how is this team going to win games? Honestly, I don't, well, it's the same thing. What team are we? The Wolves. We talked about this on the last podcast about you know were the Wolves really a twenty nine win team last season? Like had they been coached by a real NBA coach, maybe it wouldn't look like they're making or they're projected to make this huge jump this year. Like. Is Byron Scott a bad enough coach that the Lakers weren't really a 17-win team, or were they going to be a sub-20-win team no matter who was coaching that team? Uh, I think they were probably, I don't know, close to like a 20-win team yeah. on paper. I mean, to, Scott didn't do many favors. To me, it's it's a it's a process when you when you get a, a roster like this, uh, D'Angelo Russell, Julius Randle, Brandon Ingram, you look at the pieces and like the kind of, you know, prospect fiend in me wants to project these guys futures like on paper today but it's it's a process that there's going to be a year or two before they even get to like the point where they're sniffing the playoffs and I think this is still just a developmental year D'Angelo Russell has a a long way to go before he gets to where we think he can get to Ingram might have a similarly long way to go Uh, Randall to me is someone who kind of is what he is but needs to be properly utilized by a good coach so hopefully that coach is Luke Walton Mm -hmm. I just think I love the future of all these players but I don't think the future is now yeah I think I think they'll all take steps forward this year it's just it's hard to get wins out of young players in the NBA I think it'll be a fun year if if you understand the expectations and you watch the Lakers you know looking for development rather than wins this is gonna be a really fun team to watch but I don't think they get to 25 wins Memphis Grizzlies, I'm over at 43 and a half. You're under. I think this this is a team that just has a ceiling. We know what the ceiling is. It's probably the fourth or fifth seed in the West. It's probably the second round of the playoffs. Um, but I think they have enough. They they bring the core back for you know one or two more runs uh, until Zach Randolph's legs basically fall off. Um, Marcus All back healthy. You know uh, the foot injury is something you have to be worried about as far as re-injuring that, but. I think if everyone stays 70 to 80% healthy, uh, the core of this team, they can get to 44 wins pretty easily. This is a team that st- that I think started or played 28 different players last season and still won 42 games. They're not even 80% healthy right now, though. Like Chandler Parsons is not even a lock to be ready to go for the start of the season. He wasn't on the team last year. Like, I mean... If, if he's me, not ready, like, they have Vince Carter. Conley, Parsons, Gasol, like, that's where you need your health. Yes. And... Like, the rest of the guys, like, Zach Randolph at this point is a complete, like, fourth or fifth option. Uh, love love Zebo. I mean, he's a number one option in my life. Uh, yeah. I, I love the man. Um, but, you know, look Thank at that you. team. Thank you for like, saying that. They need those three guys. They need Conley, Parsons, and Gasol to be, you know, 75 games apiece this year to, to, get, to, so, yeah. to get over this over. I just don't see it. We kind of talked about this on the, the playoff pod. Uh, I just – 
I'll take the under on their health and therefore the under on mm-hmm. that 43 and a half. This is another one where you have to factor in the coaching change. Um, you know, in comes David Fisdale. Who I we, like Fizz. I like Fizz, yeah. I just I can't immediately say that this right. is a lateral move. Like, exactly. We have to kind of wait and see. Exactly. That. Yeah, and, and I think the bar was set pretty high with the Aggie, yeah. honestly. And, you know, it's kind of an odd situation. He that team how, really overachieve, yes. possibly to the he cried for the that franchise. Team. Like, I think – they might have been better off having a worse coach in, uh, worse coach in there, so that they yeah. could have sort of accepted that it was time to rebuild. Whereas now, I feel like they're still trying to hang on to this idea of competing with the the grit mm-hmm. grind club. That I, I just don't really see it. Right. Um, last thing I want to ask about them is Wade Baldwin, first round pick uh, out of Vanderbilt. He's penciled in as a backup point guard. They really don't have anyone else. I think Andrew Harrison, Tony Roten are are fighting for a spot in camp. Uh, I think he can play off the ball. He's long enough. He's got, what, 6'10 wingspan, I think, mm-hmm. for a 6'4 guy. Um, so I think he's going to end up having a, a pretty decent role for this team out of necessity. I think that was a great pick yeah. uh, based on where they got him. I uh, thought he probably should have gone a bit higher. Just really high floor guy in that draft to me. I mean, I think he's kind of got all of the strengths of a guy like Marcus Smart, who who people are still um, high on for whatever reason. I I think Baldwin has... You look at physically him and Chris Dunn, extremely similar, and he's two years younger than Dunn. Mm-hmm. I just think there's a lot of upside there and a high floor. Yeah, I think he's a guy that could that could sneak onto an all rookie team. Yeah. You know, oh, yeah. Second team, I would pencil him in on, and it would shock me if he, you know, if there's an injury to Conley or an injury to Tony Allen, he could find mm-hmm. himself playing close to 30 minutes a night. Uh, the Miami Heat, 36 and a half wins. I'm going. I'm going this way under big, on this. Big, big under. I, the Spo factor helps. So. It helps what? Helps them win games, I so, guess. Okay. Um, I was thinking about this. Like, I, I, I kind of was thinking about, you know, the year when the, the Pacers didn't have Paul George, and you're like, well, they're, they're not going to do anything. And then, like, Vogel just is Vogel he and coaches them <laughs> up. I actually don't think that happens here because I think that uh, Spolstra and Pat Riley are on the same page in terms of this team needing to rebuild and get picks, uh, picking yep. high in the draft. I think Spo is going to. Spoh's kind of a an evil genius. Like you kind of look him, look in his eyes. Like he he's kind of always up to something, and I think he's going to be totally on board with sort of sabotaging this season at the uh, in the name of kind of developing guys like Justice. In the name Winslow. of Hassan Whiteside, right? Like I, I think you might see Goran Dragic off this team at some point during the year. I think they might they might be shopping him, uh, depending on how. Let's see why not? Honestly, right. yeah. Um, and I think that they really are embracing a rebuild here they're like they're not trying to win in the mid 30s they're mm-hmm. trying to win in the 20s yeah i think so too i think there's still going to be a team that shoots its shot in free agency every summer and you know they're, they're always lining up for things like that but you know Drogic, i think could be had at the right price there's no um, point in like keep like no free agent's going to be like ooh, i could play with Dragic. like right you know but the, <laughs> but the thing about that is like our free agents lining up to play with Whiteside. no but like the only way you're getting a free agent is based on the like miami factor right like you can trade anyone on this team, and I don't think it really hurts your chances. Mm-hmm. And your your best chance is to get two in the same year together. Right. So, I mean, is Whiteside the best asset on this team? Is it Drogic? Is it I Winslow? Winslow? I think so, too. And, and I think Winslow was over. Right. I think Winslow <laughs> was somehow overrated. And he had a productive rookie. He was just, he was just out there so much, and, you, and he was doing a lot people defensively. People just like watch him, and they'd be like, oh, man, this guy can really defend. And it's like, yeah, he can, obviously. Uh, but. We need to see him take steps offensively. Yeah. I think that that's kind of – you'll see some flashes this year, and I think next year will be the year where he can – What worries me is that forward. four of the starters on this team are, are Deion Waiters, Justice Winslow, Derek Williams, and Hassan Whiteside. So 
back to my evil genius point about Spo, he's going to let waiters be waiters yeah. in the name of losing games. Absolutely. I mean, I think t- <laughs> Tyler Johnson, you know, obviously has a role there, and Josh Richardson once he gets healthy. Um, but the other thing about, you know, the the Frank Vogel comparison that you made is I just don't even know if this team has – Expo could coach them all out and go full Spo, but I still don't know if they even have the talent level right now to, yeah, to make it work. Be, yeah, like if, if you just told Spo, like, either get this team to 37 wins or you're fired and you can't coach in the NBA for the rest of your life, I think he would – Get them really close to thirty-seven. Yeah, I just don't, I don't think know they if do he could quite get there. Like well, at least with those Pacers teams, you had some veterans who knew it. Like you can't, you can't just tell Derek Williams to to you know do what he needs to do. Because that's just not how it's going to work. I think that's what he's going to say. He's going to be right. like, "Hey, Derek, Dion, go do what you need to do." Right. This this will be a. <laughs> I kind of I think I put the Miami Heat very low in my watchability rankings. I want they were bottom six or seven, but. I kind of underestimated what could be a very high unintentional comedy factor. Oh, it's going to be team. great. It's going to be right. Great. I mean, Whiteside is is like number one in that category. We should have we should have actually bumped them up the watchability yeah. ranks because like if if the Heat are playing a team you like watching, you're always going to tune in. Yeah. He's like, a you're watching Winslow, and then all the all the stuff that could go wrong probably will go wrong. Probably will. Uh, the Milwaukee Bucks. Speaking of all the stuff yeah, that could it was go, an wrong. excellent transition. 39 and a half. Uh, we, we couldn't find an updated line, although yeah. you just have to assume that you knock uh, at least two wins off of that. Well, I, I say more because I think that that injury takes them from team that's competing for like a six or seven seed to team that's not competing for any seed. And like, no. you know, like there's no point in coaching this team in an effort to finish ninth yep. or 10th. Like, why not? Well, just that's what's going to happen this year. So, <laughs> I mean, you need to just, I mean, Jabari Parker is the type of guy who you can give him a ton of minutes and help him develop. And he's going to probably negatively impact you this year because of uh, the defensive shortcomings and the fact that you probably have to play Greg Monroe. And when Parker and Monroe are on the court together, uh, they're one of the worst defensive teams in the league. And so, you know, Giannis is going to be awesome to watch. I, what do you think they should do with Thon Maker? Like, if you were the coach, like, how many minutes are you giving him? How many trips to the D? Or I guess they can't, they don't have a D League affiliate, but um, yeah, I mean, they can still put him in an A D League team. Like, what what do you do? What what's best for his development this year? I think ideally, it's kind of the the latter end of what you mentioned. You know, he has his nights where he doesn't play at all. He has some nights where maybe it's a blowout one way or the other, and he he plays most of the fourth quarter, spends some time in the D League, just kind of get him you know get him acquainted, I guess, at all levels. Like the idea of sending a player like that to the D League is one, he can play big minutes, he can play starters minutes, he can get used to a role where you know things are working through him, which isn't going to happen at the NBA so level. How how. Uh ready do you think he is compared to where Giannis was uh, I think he might be more ready than Giannis but that's not saying a whole lot I think Giannis got 24 and a half minutes a game as a rookie that was a terrible terrible team um (laughs) but no that is true I think I think in some regards he I think his feel for the game or his feel for the NBA type of game might be better than Giannis's was and I think it's a testament to how far Giannis has come because he Mm -hmm. was so so raw as a rookie and he's made huge strides since then I don't think Thon is all that ready. I think he's just mm-hmm. slightly more ready than Giannis was. Um, but the, going back to the, the Middleton injury, that's really been the, the big offseason story for this team. Uh, and I think you you were just right. I mean, they were they went from maybe a six or a seven seed to probably out of the playoffs at this point. And you know, Giannis is the best player on this team. He's by far the best asset on this roster. Jabari Parker is without a doubt number two. But there's a pretty strong argument that Chris Middleton was the most important piece to this year's roster. So uh, I think I think. 
I think Middleton, even at that contract, is a better asset than Parker to me. Yeah, like, I, mean, I, I think I, you, you know put, I'm a little I'm down on Parker compared right. to most. So you like, could talk me into that. If but if you put them both on the market, I think you get right. uh, more intriguing trade packages for Middleton. Well, you just look at what this roster looks like now without Middleton, who you know they depend on so so heavily. This is the the worst three point shooting team, or second worst in terms of made threes in the league last season, behind only Minnesota. Uh, and Middleton accounted for you know so so many of those. The 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 top three in made threes on this team were Middleton, Mayo, and Mayo's, Bayless, yeah. and you know so all three of those guys are now yeah. just done. Sad, um, sad on all. Yeah, three sad. So you lose that, and in your replacement now, it's are they going to go with Rashad Vaughn? I think they are. Dude, and Waylon's most hated player uh, probably to ever be on the Bucks, at least since I've known well, you. I've, I've never heard you. Well, here's talk the other thing: so much junk about a Bucks player as you have Rashad Vaughn. The other thing is I've always said, I think I've told you this a bunch of times, I don't hate any teams, I don't hate any players in the NBA. Okay. I want to, but I don't. I just can't. But I always say the one player that I really could never stand, Jason Terry. Who did the Bucks co-sign this offseason? Jason freaking Terry. Uh, love love Jason. Um, but, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm only you know, half cats. serious about that. Yeah, he's a cat. He's a, he's a, a veteran leader. He's probably going to play way too much for this team. Um, but the Bucks are not going to be a, a good basketball team. I think no. – you know, maybe they have a month, whether it's at the beginning of the year or the middle of the year, where where Giannis and Parker figure it out and they start looking all right. But you, but, ju- you cannot win games with Rashad Vaughn and Matthew Dellavedova as two of your starters. Now, fortunately, we can now talk about a fun team to talk about: the Minnesota Timberwolves. Somehow, their their win total is only two higher than the Bucks. That is literally insane. Forty-one and a half for the T Wolves is insanity. I would. I would throw Give me so the under. much money on the over there. Give um, me the under. Man, the under, you want the under on 41 and a half. The yeah. T-Wolves, man. This has like the makings. They're, they're, uh, the Timberwolves season to me is going to maybe uh, resemble the amount of confidence I had in the Warriors going into the finals last year. And, and the, the fact that I was willing going into that finals, like, any bet I could find, like any <laughs> any person that I could find to, to do straight up uh, bets with me on that finals, I was doing. And you were, was just, you were like, out on the street corners, just happily, or... just like counting my the like fake counting the money that I knew was going to be in my hand. Uh, and I'm kind of doing that with the Timberwolves uh, this year in in the regular season. I just am with each growing with each day, I just grow more and more confident in this team as a as a top five or six seed in the West and. Oh man, I'm I'm excited to watch them. Okay, yeah, I mean they're number two in our watchability rankings. They were an easy number two for me behind Golden State. I, I'm not denying that they have a ton of talent or that they're not going to be fun to watch, but we have to see them do it. This is a 29 win team last season. This is you're a team the, that has. You're one of the we have to see them do it guys. I'm a truther. I'm a Wolves okay. truther. They have not made the playoffs in 12 years. Okay. They have a point guard who shoots like 36 percent from the field. Who's not one of their top. To they uh, need to, had they court. gotten rid of Ricky Rubio and added more depth with what they could have gotten back from him. Do you I think, would be, I would like this team? Do you more. think Tom Thibodeau is the type of coach that's gonna give Ricky Rubio a ton of minutes when he knows it's not in the best interest of the team? I think in some ways they have to give Rubio minutes. Or I think he's, he's gonna, gonna force his 20, way out. I think he's gonna get twenty to twenty-eight minutes a game this year for them. And twenty to twenty-eight. That's a huge range. But that's not a crippling range. Like it's I not, think I think it'll be closer to twenty eight. Like I, I think Rubio's not going to want to. He's not going to play second fiddle. To who dunk. cares? Like who cares? What Rubio he wants cares. To do? What can he do? He forces his way out. 
They would love to get him out of there. Would they, though? I mean, they had every <laughs> opportunity to do that this offseason. You off can't, season. like, that, that would be, they would be aligned on getting him out of there. I like, hope they are. I think they should be. But, like, why didn't they not do that after the draft? I just don't think there was a package that they didn't think would be there. Like, I think they wanted to see how things worked because any package that was there then is probably going to be there True. now or in a month or two. I don't remember what you said about this at the time. I, I know we talked at length about it, but there was allegedly the Ricky Rubio and Zach Levine for Jimmy Butler package. That was supposed to be available right at, basically right after they took Chris Dunn on draft night. For a few minutes there, it looked like it was a done deal. Obviously, it didn't happen. Wait, who and Zach Levine? It was, it was supposed to be Rubio and Levine for, for I believe, Jimmy Butler, mm. right? Yeah, I I uh, would not have. I'm so. I think one of the reasons I'm so high on the Wolves this year is of Towns, Wiggins, and Levine. I think Levine might take the biggest step forward of those three, which is saying quite a lot considering I think. Towns well, I think Towns was so good last year that it, he's not right. going to double what he did yeah, or anything. I think though. Towns is going to finish uh, at worst second team All NBA this year, and uh, Levine to me is. It wouldn't surprise me if in like three years we're talking about Levine as one of the top 20 or 15 players in the league. And I think that that's a uh, type of player, just kind of given his athleticism, his ability to shoot. I mean, I just don't think people know how good of a shooter he is. Like in the second half last year, uh, you know, everyone knows about how Wiggins really took off uh, with his three point shot. Uh, Levine was close to a 40% uh, shooter from beyond the arc, and he's 21 years old. He's one of the best athletes in the league. He can guard ones and twos. Uh, He's averaging like a steal and a half a game. And I mean, he's still just kind of learning the game. You can kind of tell, like, when he came into the league, he kind of had, he reminded me of Westbrook in the sense that there was just so much room to improve. Like, he was already extremely physically gifted, but just in terms of knowing the game, there's just so much more room for him to grow. And he's finally got a good coach. Uh, I think he's going to, he's my pick. We're going to get to him later, but I have him, I have him winning a postseason award. That lack of being MVP, wow. Um, no, I'm with you, though. I think a lot of people, I think he's typecast as the dunker, you know? the you know, He dunks, dunks first, does everything else after, and that's really not the case. And he didn't shoot the three all that well as a rookie, and I think it's tough to shake that label. Once you're labeled as a poor shooter, people want to see you do it for two or three years in a row before they're willing to, to change on that. Uh, I see you bolded the Timberwolves on our, on our document here. Does that mean it's another perspective bet? Another perspective bet. Just keep it fresh in the mind. All right. Uh, we'll we'll kind of roll through most of these last ones here as we're running a little bit long. The Pelicans, 36 and a half, easy under for yep. me. Knicks, 38 and a half. I want to talk a little bit about the Knicks. First of all, as we've, as we've said, I think, on every pod, we're sorry, Anthony Davis. Yeah, we're sorry that they keep doing personal. this to you. This us, isn't about us. us. Going under isn't isn't anything. Yeah, it's uh, it's you've on you've you. done nothing wrong. Just, just stop getting hurt. Look at look at the look at the like two or three years down the road, and right. just know that you don't want to fall into a rut of being one of those mm-hmm. players that's sulking all the time. Don't be a sulker. Not a good look. Yeah, we're Everyone here. Everyone knows how bad things are. Mm-hmm. Um, just just keep trying every night, and eventually things right. will. If you ever turn need around. to stop by the office for some encouragement, the the address is on the website. We'll be here. Uh, the New York Knicks. 38 and a half. I'm going over on the Knicks just because, you know, I do I have a reason for it? No. Um, the to, Knicks and the Bulls are the, bold up. The, the Knicks and the Bulls are the two teams that I kind of think about in tandem this offseason with how they've put these rosters together and I think I like what the Knicks have slightly more. That was that was like a couple question marks on the end of that. Okay. Uh, <laughs> so, I think uh we really, really disagree here. Uh, I think the Knicks are uh, 
borderline lock to hit that under because Derrick Rose and Jokub Noah are below average basketball players at this point. And I only say below average because I included Noah. If I was just including Rose, I would say, you know, maybe one of the five worst players who's going to average 20 plus minutes a game this year in, in the entire league. And uh, I know that doesn't match his you know, popularity, but that's kind of how he's played the last couple of years. I don't know why any of that's going to change going to New York. I think that the expectations in New York and among that fan base and the, the people covering that team are so high right now that when uh, they inevitably struggle, it's going to be a kind of a whirlwind of negativity. And I really could see this team just going, uh, going in the tank. I mean, the only, the only way I could kind of see them hitting this over is if Porzingis takes just a crazy leap that I just don't foresee this year. I, I think he's going to be an all-star at some point on merit. He might be an all-star this year on popularity, but I mean, I, I don't, I don't see him getting there, uh, taking that big of a leap in one year. And if he doesn't do that, I don't see how they get this over. Yeah. I mean, it is heavily dependent on Porzingis. I, I think Mello can have a bounce back year after what was a, a down 2015, 16, but at, the, at this point in his career, that doesn't mean he's going to bounce back and play like he did when he was 26. So you kind of have to temper your expectations for Mello. They're not super deep. That, that's a, that's another concern of mine. I, I kind of love Brandon Jennings as the backup point guard. That That's extremely fitting for this roster. And he kind of seems like he was always on a collision course to play for the Knicks at some point. Uh, and, of course, now it's happening. And, and and like you said, the way that Derrick Rose has played, there might be a time when Brandon Jennings is starting point guard for this team. So, you know, as I said, I don't have a lot of facts to back up why I'm does, taking the over. Does Derrick Rose know that he was traded for Robin Lopez and Jaron Grant? I don't know. Is he, is he aware so. of that fact? Because like, he certainly sure. doesn't act like that happened. Because well, this is people a super that are team. part of a that. super team don't get traded for Robin Lopez and Jerry and Grant. Well, super teams, you know, they come together. <laughs> they do. They put, do. You put them together. They do. They you got to do what you got to do. They come together. It is crazy to think, like, if in 2011 you would have told Derrick Rose or anyone, like, hey, man, five years down the road, you're going to New York. Robin Lopez is coming back, and that's going to be considered a great deal for the Bulls. <laughs> All right, the Oklahoma City Thunder, 45 and a half. This is a really tough one for obvious reasons. Yeah, you know, no, whenever you're whenever sure. you're taking a great, great player out of a situation like this, not to mention the third best player on your team as well. Um, I mean, this is such a crapshoot. I, I went under, which I think is kind of playing it safe, I guess, and, and assuming yeah. that they're going to have some growing pains. We've seen this team play without Durant before. We've seen them play without Durant and Ibaka before. Um, to me, the line's too high. Yeah. Uh, consider like, what if Westbrook like misses eight games with an injury? <laughs> right. This Those year? are they go like, two they and six that. over that span. They miss that easy. Um, yeah, right. Exactly. You need it. You need Westbrook. I mean, and for a guy with the amount of surgeries he's had in recent years, to just kind of pencil him in for eighty mm-hmm. games, he gets that Iron Man labeled me. because he plays through these things. But he's he's banged up and hurt more than than you would think. I mean, he's got the same sort of LeBron thing where like no matter how hard they get hit or whatever, like they're just so strong, like so freakishly strong that it just doesn't really matter, but when you're talking about uh like knee surgeries, um nobody's immune to that. Right. So I think they could hit this over. I'm with you. We're we're totally in lockstep here. I think they could hit it, but to me it's just a lot safer to hit the under. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean it I think Vegas is maybe capitalizing on 
the Russ hype. You know, everybody yeah, yeah. like I want them to win fifty five yeah. games. Like I would love for Russell Westbrook to play all eighty two games and have the greatest individual season of all time. Uh, and I think maybe through ten games we might be on that track. But can he do that mm-hmm. for eighty two games? Let alone seventy five games. Let alone sixty five games. Uh, we'll see. Orlando Magic thirty six and a half. Man, I I went under. I don't know. They're probably in the thirty four to thirty eight at the mm-hmm. most range. I this is a tough tough call. This is a I, tough roster. I think you got to go. I think you got to go under upgrading coaching. On, yeah, the argument really, the argument for the over really does kind of, uh, it's Frank Vogel and Aaron Gordon. Like, that's yep. the only thing you're really talking about if you're talking about the over. I mean, Vogel, I, would, I wouldn't bet this just because of Vogel. Mm-hmm. But I'm, but I'm no, going I, under just based on the talent on the roster. As a general rule, you just want to avoid betting anything relating to the Orlando Magic. Right. Uh, they, they have three very intriguing front court players. The problem is, you know, those three might only play, like, power forward and you're kind of forcing <laughs> one to play center and forcing one to play right. small forward i like fournier i think that was a, a i like the idea of bringing him back but you're also kind of blocking mario hazonia alfred payton hasn't really made any strides since coming into the league i mean, he's, I mean he's he a, might be a bottom five he's a point starting guard point guard but he's a bad starting point guard right. and and they don't have the talent around him i think to offset that so there's a lot of a lot of names in this front court that are mm. kind of fun jeff green is still hanging around that's not a fun name. uh he, eh, i thought you were gonna name a fun name Cliff Alexander, does he count? No. Steven Zimmerman? No. Bismack Biombo? He's kind of a fun name. Yeah, he's a fun name. It's a fun <laughs> name to say. Uh we didn't even yeah, we didn't even touch on him. I mean, between Vucevic, Biombo, Ibaka, and Gordon, like So here's my here's my uh theory for this. I think Frank Vogel like told them uh told management, like, I'm gonna need uh, a rim protector. Like I, I really need that so I can build my defense around that. And I think, like, you know, if you're in, like, a fantasy league, you send out, like, a bunch of trades at once trying to, like, I'm going to trade for a starting pitcher today. And I think they sent out these these offers and, like, you know, they sent an offer to, to Bayombo's agent. They, they send an offer to the, the Thunder. And they both they got, all like, bit? accepted at the same time. <laughs> so they couldn't pull the other one back. And now they're stuck with yeah. uh, two guys that kind of do what Bogle wanted in that, that rim-protecting mm-hmm. scheme. Although maybe it's just an idea of, like, at – 48 minutes a game, There's good, one of them's going to be on the court, and no, it's going to be that, tough No, to that is true. I mean, they are, they are going to have a very nice rotation there. It's just a matter of how do you work it out so everybody's happy. 76ers, 27 and a half wins. We both say under. I think this is they're right up there with the Lakers for me, where there's going to be some really fun times to watch this mm-hmm. team, but the talent level just isn't there to hit the over. The Phoenix Suns, 26 and a half. I take the over. You also take the over. I a lot of talent. We might be we might be being foolish here. I uh, think our love for Devin Booker is maybe clouding it. Right. This is tough. Um, you gonna make a last second swap here? No, twenty six. It's so many. low. Uh, it yeah. is low. Yeah. Don't um, don't bet that though. No, uh, this is gonna be this is a top five team for me as far as just pure talent level that I want to watch. You know, you and I are, are both prospect mm-hmm. guys. You you probably a little more than I am, but. This team is loaded with those type of prospects. Mm-hmm. I mean, Devin Booker, Tyler Eulis, even even a guy like Archie Goodwin, who we haven't really sure. seen all that much of yet. Uh, Dragon Bender, of course. Uh, Marquise Chris, did I say him already? Uh, they're just loaded with, with these type of guys. And, you know, how much is Chris going to play? How much is he going to have an impact this year? Probably not all that much. Um, but, but this is going to be a fun team just to kind of see where they go because they have so many young assets. Uh, we haven't even talked about Bledsoe Knight, TJ Warren. You know they they almost have too many. I do wonder like, are you going to bring Devin Booker off the bench now after that, you know, crazy rookie year? I kind of think they kind of have, have to. to. <laughs> I think so. He would 
really, really hate guarding threes every night. Yeah, he's not ready <laughs> for that. Uh, I mean, there's going to be times where they go Bledsoe, Knight, you know, Booker, Chris, and Bender, which is a super intriguing, fun lineup to think about. That How many games does that lineup win you? Zero. Uh, negative, yeah, <laughs> zero games. Uh, so, yeah, we'll see. I mean, the Suns will be fun to watch. Probably, a, you know, firmly, I should say, a developmental year. The Blazers, 46 and a half. We're both going over on that. Uh, Barely is, for me. Yeah, I mean, they won 44 last year. They got deeper, though, and they retained everybody. Yeah, I I think they're right at, like, 46, 47, 48, when mm-hmm. somewhere in there. Uh, uh, yeah, I wouldn't bet this one. They're so deep, though. I, 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 really, I have a soft spot for this Blazers they're team. They're so deep, though, but, like, their second-best player is C.J. McCollum, like, and C.J. McCollum's... Like, if you want to go through all the teams that we're projecting to get to, like, 45, 46 wins and line up their top two players with Damian Lillard and C.J. McCollum, I think that the Blazers Yeah, well, that, when that's where the depth there. comes in, though, is you, when yeah, you, like, you offset that by going up, 10 right. deep. But, I mean, like, it's not like they have this great like, no, lineup and the depth. Like, the depth is the yeah. thing. All right, fair enough. The Kings... Thirty-two and a half. You went over on this inexplicably. I'm going. I'm it going is under. Inexplicable. Um, <laughs> just a typo. It's very inexplicable. <laughs> give, give me a reason, please. Okay. Uh, you know, Tibbs gets a ton <laughs> of credit as being the the biggest coaching upgrade in the league this year. I think Dave Yeager might be the second biggest coaching upgrade in the league. I think that's fair. And what did they win last year? Like thirty-three. Yeah, so they're getting a gigantic coaching upgrade, and they just have to hit last year's number. Now, I know the backcourt is a complete mess, but it's never been good. Like, it's not like they've ever, it's not like they're going from like this solid backcourt to this crappy backcourt. It's always been a bad backcourt. It just kind of looks a little worse on paper this year. Uh, I think it looks worse just because they have all these front court pieces. So you just kind of like assume the backcourt's. Like, I mean, extremely it's extremely bad. We're not trying to make excuses for the backcourt. The backcourt's <laughs> always bad. It's still bad. I'm just saying they get to last year's win total, maybe even exceed okay. it a little bit because they got the okay. coaching upgrade. All right. Yeah. I honestly, I didn't realize they got to 33 last year. So that that makes more sense than I thought it would. Um, all right. Let's finish up these last ones real quickly. Spurs 56 and a half over. Yep. I think this is going to be a really good regular season team. That yes, but it's going to go just like last they year. They might really. lose first round. Yeah, they might I, lose in like five yep, games. In the I'm first with round. you on that. Raptors forty nine and a half. I went under. You went over. The Raptors won fifty six games. So that would be that's assuming a pretty big regression on my part, which I understand. But I do think that Kyle Lowry has been overachieving for the last three years. They lost their best rim protector. Their starting power forward is Jared Sullinger. Uh, not a deep team. The Demar Carroll thing, I think, is. It doesn't make up for those seven that seven win gap, but I think it gets you like halfway there. Yeah, that well, that's, yeah, and we we talked about this at lunch today. They they had Demar Carroll for most of last season, much of last season, I should say. But was he ever at one hundred percent or ever really close? No. Probably not. So there's that. Um, and I should mention Luis Scola did start at power forward for this team. So while while Sullinger is not anybody they get excited about, it's not like they were starting. Give me ten seconds on your your take on Norman Powell as a player. I love Norman Powell. I, I I think I made the comp to him as as an Aaron Aflalo coming out of the draft, and that, that's easy, I guess. I think they both wore the same number at UCLA, so there's some sort of correlation there. Um, but no, I do like original, him. original. Yeah, exactly. No, I think he I think he can be that type of guy. I think he can be a, an average to you know slightly above average at his peak st- uh, starting shooting guard in the NBA. I think it's still probably a little bit premature to rely on him too much this year. But he's a, a rotational guy. There's easily. a chance that uh, either Powell or 
Nogueira. Is that how you pronounce it? Bebe. Bebe. Let's go um, with Bebe. Either Paolo or Bebe could take a step forward this year. Maybe even both, and that, that would help a little bit. All right. Uh, two more. The Jazz at 47 and a half. We're both going over. It seems like they should have hit this, like, the last two years, but there's just been so many untimely injuries. I mean, they they might actually be the deepest team in the entire league. I think they are. All right. We'll end it on that. The Bullets, 42 and a half wins. I don't know why they're listed as the Bullets in here, but I, I like it. We're going to uh, roll with that. Like, this was a kind of a tough call for me just because I think – um, having Marquis for a full season is nice, but I just I just don't trust that backcourt to stay healthy, and I I really am concerned a little bit about John Wall coming off that knee surgery. Just given uh, his style of play, I I mean I think you would need uh, a ton of health on this team for for them mm-hmm. to hit this over. So I think it's just safe to go under. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts, so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.